Let's get it. Hello and welcome to For the Dreamers podcast. I'm your host, Austin Jordan. To kick off the inaugural episode of the show, I just want to say thank you. Thanks to everyone that took the time out to check us out. The goal of this podcast is pretty simple, to provide creative expertise to entrepreneurs and dreamers all over the world that are hustling towards their dreams. We want to help you take your stuff to the next level, so we aim to bring on guests with a wide background of experience, knowledge, tips that can really help motivate and push you towards applying sound marketing and digital marketing techniques and strategies to your business to help grow and enhance. We really hope you appreciate the podcast. We hope you support. We hope that you share and we hope that you will continue to stay connected to our community as we continue this journey together. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everyone, we are here live now with my man, Taylor Hall. Taylor is the marketing manager at GVC Mortgage. Um, They are a premier uh, mortgage lender in Indiana, I believe. Um, And they have about 23 branch locations. And I'm really excited for you to um, be on today, Taylor. Um, Like I've said before, it kind of in my intro, I consider you a social media master. I know we connected. Thank you. Sprout Social All-Stars community, um, and it's really cool to kind of be connected in a network like that where you see, you know, other professionals in the digital marketing space really kind of dropping knowledge, you know, kind of connecting and sharing it is what they do. Um, and you were kind of a natural first pick to be a guest on the show just with, you know, I think the perspective that you bring, a lot of fresh ideas, and I think it's really been exciting to see the level of creativity that you brought in a, in a space like mortgage lending and the way you've been able to connect that um, and bring social media as a um, viable channel and solution to connect users, to connect your target market, but also I think bring a level of value added content and visibility beyond just the core business function. And so maybe just kind of give us a quick background on yourself um, and kind of how you use social in your everyday. So, Thank you very much, and thank you for having me as your first guest. That's it's really cool. So I'm excited to to delve into some of these topics. On a personal level, I used to freelance a lot, so some of the stuff I was posting was to try and get leads, whether it be for logo design, website management, what have you. But now it's just more in a. I just want to engage. I want to have a conversation. I want to be able to have like-minded people in my community who I've determined is my audience. And let's just really bounce ideas off each other in a professional capacity. The goal right now is for us to be, and this kind of goes into uh, I think your topic, which is how do people grow their social network? Well, the big thing is for me is it's to know where your audience is and who that audience is for you. You need to be able to define those things and what type of content do they like to see? So from a mortgage lending standpoint, they may not be super excited uh, about certain things, whether it be a loan program specific, but they may be super excited to see that you are out in the community sponsoring events. And then that just makes you feel more like a, a human to them. So you're not just there to get business. You're actually there to give back to your community. So we do a lot of documentation posts, which would just be highlighting what people are already doing, but we're actually documenting that for them and posting. Um, and then you, I mean, but you have all types of content. The whole goal is to 
I think for us now is to have a bit of education with a bit of entertainment. So it has to be something where you, it just can't be a meme of a cat playing a cat board. You know, <laughs> it needs to be something that has some education there. So there's actual value there, but it does have to be entertaining because you just don't want it to be a, uh, you know, an infomercial where you're just, it's purely lead generation and people get a sense of that. Right. No, that's good. And you hit it on the head, you know, Today's topic is really about building your community through social media and really kind of finding your niche and finding your space. And I kind of want to hit on one of the things you said about defining your audience. Uh, you know, I work with a lot of individuals um, that have, you know, personal side businesses, um, things that they're doing outside of their nine to five. And their their first go to is like, I need to get on social to get people, you know, to become aware of what I'm doing. You know, I got to find out, you know, a social audience. You know, how do I do that? You know, people are, you know, they see social as this thing and they recognize it as a tool that can help them. But often it's kind of like dropping a penny in the ocean. It's kind of like mm -hmm. there's so much going on on social media. How do I stand out? And so when you talk about defining your audience, you know, what are maybe I guess, what's the starting point for understanding, you know, where you should be and how, you know, understanding where your audience might be for someone starting out on social media from like a business perspective or a small business perspective? Yeah. So I think you need to determine what the age of your consumer looks like. So if you are a lifestyle brand for clothing and you're 18 to 30 demographic, that gives you a bit more of an indicator on which social channels, which to be, be quite honest, though, I feel like for a majority of people, Facebook is still going to be an, a good priority for you. Twitter's right. still great for the, the standpoint of, I would say this, for me, Twitter is something I didn't invest in heavily till the beginning of this year. I mm -hmm. had in the past, but I kind of fell off. It just feels more intimate. It feels like you're actually having conversations with people. Whereas, you know, on Facebook, you may get that on Instagram. It's a lot of you know, predetermined actions where you're getting likes and these comments that have right. already been predetermined. So it just doesn't feel as authentic. Right. So I, I think defining your age uh, of your consumer is a huge thing. So for us, our, our key uh, demo is going to be anywhere from the ages of probably 28 up till 55. That's for the mortgage lending space. Okay. Um, you're going to run into people buying the first home, buying a second home or refinancing. So you know, for Facebook, we're hitting a certain demographic for Instagram. We're hitting a different demographic and you will see like some of the content works on every channel, but there is certain types of content that may work on Instagram, but not on Twitter, or it may work on Facebook and not Instagram, even though, you know, you would assume that they both would and they both be interacted with the same, but it's just, it's not the case. So I think really defining your audience is dependent on who you're trying to reach and that's a great starting point. But another thing, uh, you know, it's not something you really have to think about starting out, but is the unintended audience. What could that potentially reach? So if your target audience is a 18 to, say, 28 range, right, but then they start liking it and then like their older brothers or older sisters start seeing it and then they're like their parents are seeing it. It's like it's an unintended audience that it can reach. And that's one of the cool things about social is. um there's really, and I'd say it's more for video, there's no shelf life on this. You see it all the time where a video goes viral in 2008. You right. saw it in 2008. A friend of yours shows it to you in 2012, and you're like, yeah, I saw it in 2008, though. <laughs> then it goes viral again in 2012, and then they viral again in 2017. So right. it's, it's really cool. But, I mean, obviously, that's where a lot of our audience's attention is because they're living on this. 
And that's, right. that's the game we're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Mobile, you know, mobile is everything. And so when it comes to defining your audience, you know, you selecting your age range being that primary first step. And so let's say, you know, you found your audience, you know, maybe it's millennials, maybe it's the older crowd and you identify a platform, say, you know, Facebook, Twitter, what's, what is it, you know, what's your recommendation when it comes to establishing uh, a presence on social media? Is it best to be on everything, you know, at once? Like, is it best, you know, is it better to kind of just deploy on all channels and see what sticks? Is mm -hmm. it better to, you know, make it one selection and try to invest in that? Um, or is it a combination of a variety of things depending on your content? You know, what, I guess, what's kind of your advice on, on folks that, you know, say, okay, I'm, I'm good on my demographic, but, you know, I kind of feel like I need to be connected everywhere because everyone else is connected everywhere. Kind of speak on that a little bit. I would say what they need to honestly do is look in the mirror and say, do I have the ability to be on all these social networks? No, that's good. If, if they do, who am I to tell them not to try? Because right. the, the truth is, and you know, some of the stuff I had written down about this is you can't be afraid to fail. So I think mm -hmm. part of that goes into trying a lot of different things and seeing what works. And the truth is we were talking about what content works on what, what platform and what doesn't, you know, we could have the same demographic. We could be in the same footprint. We could be right. putting out the same content, but your content may work better than mine. And that's just how it is. So um, I, I definitely think if you have the ability, why not try everything? Mm -hmm. If not, and you really only know Facebook or Instagram, really hit those hard. Right. And, and then learn Snapchat, learn the other ones, but don't really deploy a lot of time in posting content there. Maybe you go there and you just you're part of the community. So you have a profile and then you're just interacting with other things going on and you're getting a little bit more uh, accustomed to what type of content works there. But I think knowing uh, your what I do is define your audience, know the top three social channels that they're on and really right. deploy your content there. But if you have the ability and you you really are a social media guru, why not try everything? Because if you post it, like we said, if you post it today, maybe it goes hot in 2020. Yeah. You just don't know. You <laughs> right. could be like the first person who did that type of post on this social channel. And then now you're that guy. You're seeing right. that guy or girl who did this. So, right. Yeah. I like that, you know, kind of being um, not afraid to experiment, not to try not afraid to really extend yourself. And I really like the tidbit you mentioned about, you know, looking at yourself and understanding what your um, bandwidth limitations might be. And also, you know, starting with the ones that you're familiar with, you know, if you're already an avid Facebook user, already an avid Instagram user, starting with what platform comes naturally to you. One thing that I kind of get hit with a lot when it comes to kind of starting out on social media is a lot of people feel fine that when they start, you know, a personal, a business Facebook page for a side hustle or a personal hustle, that there's a lot of like familiar support, you know, your, your mom or your, your parents, you know, your best friend. And it's kind of like this, this first realm of support is usually people that are connected and close to you. Absolutely. And what I find is people jump out of the gate and they get a lot of excitement from just close friends and family. And that's usually your base of support. And what they find, though, is after several months go by, it's hard to kind of break out of that first realm of support and break mm -hmm. into a broader audience of people that aren't connected to you both intimately or tangentially um, with your business or what you do. 
are there ways, and I think more on the content side, are there ways to amplify content beyond your first realm of support to really grow and tap into a broader and more diverse network? You know, is one of those strategies encouraging your audience to share themselves? And like you said, those unidentified audiences, you know, is it time to immediately jump into, you know, paid advertising through social media? Is it time to boost those posts? You know, what would be advice or inputs for someone that has seen, you know, I started a Facebook page and I got 100 followers, but most of them are family and friends. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my goal is, you know, 500 by the end of the year. How am I going to amplify my page and my content to really hit that goal? People that don't know me, but want to support uh, my message and my brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many things I could say, and it, this would make this podcast go way longer than what <laughs> you intended on this. But yeah. um, to go back to the the last question real quick, I think what, going with what you're familiar with mm -hmm. um, is great. But the, the big thing starting out is consistency, being able yeah. to post regularly, because what you don't want to have happen is jump out of the gate and you're posting for one week. Mm -hmm. And then four weeks go by and there's nothing there because that right. loses traction. But, yeah, just as you said, family is kind of like that first defense and your friends. And uh, I, I always go uh, quality over quantity for the most part. You know, yeah. when you're starting out, obviously you want to invite your friends and family and get them excited about it. But that second tier, I think there's a few things you could do. Um, just say you're a clothing brand and say you're based out of Miami as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you have your friends and family that are liking everything. Go on social and, and find who are the, the, the people within your demographic. Say it's a 18 to 24 year old and see who has a lot of followers. Yeah. Reach out to them and say, hey, would you, you know, we'll give you this shirt for free. Mm -hmm. Would you mind wearing it and posting on our wall or, or sending us a picture back and allowing us to post it on their wall and tag them in it? Right. Because what that's going to do is inherently grow your audience outside of that first wall. So uh, that would be one method. The second method would be to see what kind of posts are working really well. So let's say it's on Facebook as an example, and you see this video post is working really, really well. Boost it. Just get it in front of more people, more brand awareness, and see right. if you can get more likes from it. So it's really not lead generation from this standpoint. If you're trying to sell merchandise, you're just mm -hmm. trying to get your brand out there. Right. So. Um, but that's one thing that really excites me. And that's one of the hardest things I think in a mortgage lender standpoint is how do you get an influencer within your footprint right. that can get people excited about buying a home or refinancing? You know, it's, it's different. I think with um, a lot of other businesses, there's a lot more opportunity to do that type of thing where you get an influencer within the community that has this huge following and you're basically taking some of their audience and making them aware of your product or your business. So I, yeah. I think that would be a cool concept to try. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100% with the idea of trying to involve social influencers and also looking through your content and finding out what works and looking at the trends. And I think that's actually something that's really underrated and a lot of people don't do when they jump out is they feel that activity and generating lots of um kind of temporary content is good, you know, and I always think of it, you know, like, you know, you can eat Skittles all day long and it's accessible and it's quick and it's there, but, you know, meat and potatoes, you know, might take a little longer to cook, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a lot hardier. And I look at that from the content standpoint um, as well as, you know, some people, do spend a lot of activity putting things out there and, you know, you know, just random status updates or mm -hmm. 
this or hey we're doing this and not really looking at the time to curate a content calendar look at how they can be most effective with content that's actually performing well um and i kind of wanted to transition to that a little bit on the content development side is a lot of what we're talking about is kind of business to consumer like kind of that b2c Mm -hmm. relationship with social media but you know you find folks as well that are in the b2b markets where you know content and interacting with consumer isn't necessarily um an easy game to win on social media you know with uh certain key different demographics and sectors uh we find that investing in evergreen content and content that is on a secondary source like a website and things like that is a lot more effective in gaining traction and gaining visibility um, and engagement with your uh, target market. How important is it to uh, complement your social media presence with really good evergreen content that's on a secondary source like a website and things like that? Is it possible to win the social media community building um, effort solely on social media and content that's only digested on social media? Or is it important to also have that secondary source, a click-through source, a landing page, or something that can really, I guess, uh, anchor your social media efforts? In the past, I would have said it's extremely important to have that website. And I still think it is from a credibility, authenticity standpoint. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what you'll see now is, for example, people go on Shark Tank. And Mm -hmm. how have you done X amount of dollars of business? social yeah and and you know all they're doing is they're not taking them to an own channel they're taking them to their amazon store right right so and so i think it's really important that the goal of this is to make content or make a process that is timely for your users make it extremely easy and user friendly for them to take whatever action it is you want them to take i think the more you can control that on social is probably the the better way to go. But I, I definitely think there is some validity to still having that website presence. Uh, from a mortgage lender standpoint, what we see is a lot of people would prefer to interact with our content on social as opposed to our website. Right. They're not going to want to click on, uh, you know, say it's nine things to avoid when buying a home. Mm-hmm. That content does really great on social. But if we were to link back to the blog post, very few click throughs. Right. So if they typically what you're finding out, and this is a statistic that, you know, pretty much anyone can find. But if 60 percent of people are getting through that sales funnel before they'd ever reach out to you, by the time they reach out to you, they already know what action they want to take. So, um, you know, if they go to our website, as an example, they're going to know that they want to apply for a loan or they're just looking for a specific loan that they want to learn more about. So social is probably our number one because it's where we're getting the majority of our engagement. Um, in the past, we used to post content on our blog and then post the same content on our uh, social and just see the difference. And I'm talking thousands of percent difference of the video uh, versus on the website versus the video organically inside Facebook. I mean, it's it's a night and day difference. So I think the more you can get the content in front of people where they are spending their time and not making them do an additional step to get to it, I think that's a smart play. That's really powerful. Um, and kind of like you said, like really kind of making it easier for the user and thinking about that process because there, like you like you mentioned there is research that shows that the more clicks it takes a user to get to content the higher the likelihood that they're going to bounce and um, what and how fast does your website load i mean if right. you're taking three plus seconds mm-hmm. well now you've aggravated them not only did you take time away from them to click but now you're taking time for your website to load and now they're over it 
Right. No, that's good. And just kind of recapping here, you know, so many steps, you know, we talked about, you know, identifying that audience and really kind of figuring and pinpointing, okay, who's my demographic? And, you know, what's that sweet spot of the age range? And then, you know, from there, identifying a platform that aligns best with that audience, Mm -hmm. looking at, you know, your time limitations, your bandwidth, and, you know, how can I best find the platform that fits with that audience? And then we talked about the the content, you know, curating content that works, looking for trends, looking for the things that are getting like, not being afraid to experiment and look at different ways to kind of engage that user. And then the consistency thing. I think that was really the key in this whole conversation to me was, it's important to be consistent. And one of the, you know, as we kind of wind down here, one of the questions that I kind of wanted to bring up, because it actually came up in a conversation not too long ago. Um, I, had, I had a young lady that was starting out a Facebook page. She had probably been running it for six months and everything was going really well. She was understanding how to build a content calendar. She was being consistent with content. She was sharing from other influences, other users. And so it wasn't just a bunch of push. It was, you know, pushing and sharing and um, curating and collating a lot of content. But she hit a wall and she explained how everything was going well. You know, 100 followers, you know, would jump out of the gate and then, you know, 10 another day, you know, 20 this day. And then she said, all of a sudden, I hit a plateau around like 400. And. Mm -hmm. For, you know, for weeks, it was, you know, maybe a follower, you know, maybe nobody. And my methodology didn't change. I kept up what I was doing, but I hit a plateau. Can can you speak to the importance of consistency even during those times you hit a plateau? And I think this is discouraging to a lot of folks that aren't professional marketers where I've seen some success and things seem to be working really well for me. I hit a plateau and now I'm ready to kind of either abandon it or deem it as a failed experiment and move on to something else or, you know, abandon social altogether and look for more traditional um, methods of advertising to put my money into. Talk to why plateaus are normal, even for professional marketers, and how to kind of avoid the slump effect and push through it. Yeah, absolutely. So I would have to see what kind of content she was putting out to give an answer based on her Mm -hmm. situation. But I think this goes back into you can't be afraid to fail. So I think a lot of people see what successful people are doing, or at least what who they consider successful. Right. And they may have, you know, 50,000 likes and they see all the engagements they get. But when they post content that they would say is just as valuable, they're not getting that same reaction. But what they're not seeing is how much time that person put in, the failures that they had, that 50,000 like person put in, and all the content they had to put out before it really started getting traction. Because obviously you're going to kind of have that honeymoon phase of, yeah, we just started, and you're going to get people who are excited about it. Um, you know, a, a strategy she could try, this would just go for anyone. We talked about uh, potentially getting an influencer would be to find someone who is also in that same situation. So I, I would compare it to like if you wanted to start going to the gym and working out and you, you hit that plateau, look for someone in the gym that is going through the same thing you're going through and try to overcome it together. That way you have this support system. It's a lot easier to go through that with someone else. And, mm-hmm. and and push back off each other. And maybe there's some uh, synergy there in between the two. Maybe the companies could do some co-marketing things right. and potentially try to grow together. But I think um, that would be one avenue she could definitely try right now is look for someone who's in a similar position and, and say, hey, you know, I really like the content you're putting out. Here's what I am trying to achieve. 
you know, would you have any interest in starting to put out content together maybe, and then getting in front of their audience and then their audience get in front of her audience. So there's a, there's a few different uh, strategies you could definitely try there, but um, I definitely think trying to grow together once you hit that plateau is a lot easier than trying to, to figure it out yourself. But that said, you can't be scared to, to evolve. You know, right. certain content works really well, but that doesn't mean it's always going to work. You have to be able to determine, and I'm not saying this is happening to her, but you have to be able to determine, well, this content has stopped working. I need to add value this way. And how can I add value? So that goes back into knowing your audience, defining who they are, where they are. But how can you add value within the content they want to see? What What's your value proposition or prop for them where you're far and away the best value that they're going to find out there? And then it's all just about amplifying that message. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to run into plateau effect. But it, it goes back into, I think, uh, social media has made it where a lot of people are just into instant gratification because it is so instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And there are legit people on Instagram who will post a picture. And if they don't get, say their baseline is 50 likes, if they right. don't get 50 likes within 10 minutes, they'll take it down. Right. How, how crazy is that? <laughs> I know, just, we've it, seen it. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. So you just, you know, you just, you have to be able to make quick actions and it goes back to the content. you were talking about um, this evergreen content versus social media content. And the way I, I kind of came up and the people I interacted with on Twitter talk about it as feathers and bricks. So you have contents that are quick hitters that are feathers. And then you have your bricks, which are like your foundation, but that doesn't mean your foundational content can't go on social. So um, if she has a website, I, I would say, take a look at, the Google analytics and see what kind of content is getting interacted with and maybe trying to put more long form content on Facebook. Just try different things. I mean, like I said, you're never going to know until you try mm-hmm. and you can't be afraid to fail. Cause I think that's what a lot of people do. They're just like, well, so-and-so has all these likes, but they don't see the behind the scenes. It's like, everyone's like LeBron James is going to make it to the finals every year. And yeah. they're like, he's just a freak of nature. If you followed him around every day, I think you'd be, I mean, we know, but you'd be very impressed by how much work you actually have to put in. It's stuff that people would never see because all right. they're seeing are the highlights. They're seeing them in games. They're seeing them in the, the uh, top 10 plays, but they're not seeing the behind the scenes stuff of all the work he's putting in. So uh, just not to be discouraged. You're going to hit a plateau, but there's definitely ways to kind of reach out and try and build that momentum back. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it, man. All right. Give us um, give us a daily gym. Give us one gym, uh, one thought to leave the audience with. Um, and then we'll kind of close this thing out. Give us one daily gym from Taylor Hall. Go. Oh, man. I would say this. If you're living for instant gratification, just going off the last tidbit, um, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're living for temporary highs. And once you stop getting those, what do you have? You know, you have to have the short-term game as long as the long-term game. So instant gratification is great. I mean, we all wake up to our device. We all go to sleep with them. But just don't be discouraged if, you know, you're not getting the feedback that you want. Just keep pushing through. All you can do is keep trying. And I think that's the big thing is you're never going to succeed. Uh, actually, one of the, uh, the guests we had on um, our podcast for our first episode said, uh, I'm going to try one more time. You know, failure isn't failure until you stop trying. I love it. 
Absolutely love it. You know what? Awesome having you. Definitely appreciate your time on the podcast. Before we let you go, we got to go rapid fire with you. <laughs> this, oh, is the, this is the funny oh, part of the show. Oh, this, boy. Is, this is where we peg you with right. 10 rapid fire questions. You have to answer Perfect. first thing that comes to mind. Some okay. are basic, some are funny, some put you in an awkward predicament. Let's just see what happens. Okay. Is there it, before you start? Is there is it like time? Are we doing like a minute? Are we doing an X amount of questions? You know what? It, it's not time, but you okay. know, you're the first guest, so we're gonna kind of you're, okay. you're gonna set the precedent for how we do this for the rest of the season. All right, sounds All right. good. Question number one: Favorite ice cream? Vanilla. Vanilla ice cream. Very very plain. I expect you to go with the flavor there. I mean, well, it's you know it would be peanut butter cup if okay. I was choosing, but it, it'd be vanilla over. It'd be vanilla. Vanilla yeah. with, with toppings on it, and they could be assorted, so. Okay, I, I like that. I like that. Set, set, set the base and then and then, yes. and then color it up with the toppings. All right. Absolutely. Favorite, favorite Instagram account? Ooh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, love it. Okay. Gary V. Gary he, v. He, he's, a fan, he's a fan favorite. Um, all right. Do you pronounce it pop or soda? <laughs> soda. Like it. See, I, I pronounce it soda as well. I think people that pronounce it pop, yeah, wrong side of history. Wrong side <laughs> of history. Last song you listened to? Man, oh gosh, um, music soul child, humble pie. Ooh, I like that. I like that. All right, would you identify more with Beyonce's Beehive or Rihanna Navy? Which one are you? Would you which which one would you put yourself in? Beehive or the Navy? Ooh, I'm go. I'm going navy. You going navy? I like it. I like it. That's a solid choice. What's your spirit animal? You know, uh, I'm gonna go with Ferdinand the bull. A very specific type of bull. Wow. Grew up on Ferdinand the bull. I'm excited for the movie coming out. That's my spirit animal. He's like big and he can, you know, he can fend for himself, but he's very gentle until you provoke him. I like the specificity on that answer. (laughs) If you could have one as a pet, which one would you pick? A donkey or a sloth? Mm, I'm going. Uh, I'm gonna go sloth. Sloth. I, I can see that. I guess you know they, they seem like they kind of keep to themselves. You kind of throw out some food. <laughs> and it just hangs out. I can. I think can I? Can I re-get it? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe, maybe, maybe later. I mean, maybe like a six months like requirement. Yeah. Well, it's gonna take them six months to move out of my house, so be <laughs> slow. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you get them, you get it, you, you, you get the excavation <laughs> process going. Favorite movie of all time. Oh man, these are some really good questions that I just never really think about. Oh man, <sighs> I want to I want to cue the Jeopardy music. You gotta give me an answer. Favorite yeah. movie? <laughs> man. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm expecting you to say Hoosiers to be an Indiana guy. But... I know. I mean, there's so many <laughs> sports movies, but. Ah, gosh, man, I I don't even know. I don't. There's too many. I'm a, I'm a movie guy, so yeah. there's so many. Honestly, I could give you, I could give you animated movies. I could give you. Uh, right, let's, let's go animated. Let's go favorite animated. Favorite favorite, favorite, favorite animated. animated would probably be. I, I'm going to go with. Um, I, just right now, I'm going to have to go with Moana, just because that's what my daughter's into. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah. It's kind of like going with what 
her favorite is, but I would say mine would probably be something along the lines of like a, a Disney movie from way back, maybe like an Aladdin or something like that, where I'm super excited to see like the live version of, or like the, the real person version of what that looks like. I like it. I think I've spoken like a true parent, right? I mean, your favorite movie is the last Pixar film. I mean, yes, what your kid is watching. <laughs> and she's just now getting into Frozen, so I'm sure that's um, probably going to be up there because I know a lot of parents went through that already. I haven't. Right. It's coming. She heard Let It Go, and she was super excited about it. That's the next one. All right, uh, let's wrap this up then. Uh, two more favorite vacay spot. It's a personal favorite, uh, Orlando. I just, you know, you have Disney World right there. You have nice weather. You have the pools. You have tennis courts. You have the outlet malls. You have good Absolutely. food. Hey, next time you're in Orlando, hit me up. I'm an hour away. We gotta get, we gotta, we gotta connect. You can come by awesome. the office and look at some space stuff. So we'll make it happen. Yeah, perfect. Uh, number ten, last final question: Who's funnier, Dave Chappelle or Kevin Hart? Oh man. Uh, I have to go with Kevin Hart. Oh, Just, I think you're going to upset some of the old heads. I, I, I am, I am. Show. But I like both a lot. I think it's Kevin Hart. Just, I'll say this. I think, uh, I think Dave Chappelle's stand-up's funnier. But I think Kevin Hart is funnier when he does interviews. I just think he's naturally funny. Dave right. Chappelle is. He's a little bit more dry. But I think Dave Chappelle's stand-up's better. But I'll take Kevin Hart if we were interacting in an interview. I like it. I like it. Well, Taylor, I can't thank you enough for being the first guest on the show. Very, very insightful conversation. I think the listeners will really benefit um, from some of the some of the gems that you dropped and really talking about how to build a social community for those starting out and really trying to distinguish themselves um, on various platforms. So I want to thank you for the time. I want to thank you for joining and uh, appreciate you and hope to have you soon. Honestly, we hope to have you returning back on the show soon. We oh, that'd fun. be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks, man. Well, that wraps it up for us today. And thank you for listening to For the Dreamers podcast. We'll be back next week with more content and more daily gems. Um, stay tuned. Keep it locked in here. And we'll see you all next week. I would advise you to stay in your lane. They do not like me, but I'm a grown